What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I guess I should start by saying Happy New Year and and ask you what your New Year's resolution is. Uh, I'm John Kins. You can read me at johnkinsano.com. He's John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. You can read him at pac12hotline.com. Um, Wilner, I want to start, though, a little differently. Uh, you know, my wife posed a question to me. She said, what's your word? And I was like, what do you mean, what's my word? She goes, you know, everyone makes a resolution, but what's your word for 2024? If you, if you have one word that you really want to focus on and make kind of your mantra for the year. And so we ran around our family and uh, asked each of the kids, what's your word? And I asked my parents, what's your word? And asked cousins and nephews and aunts and uncles, what's your word? And we did it. It was an interesting exercise. And I encourage people to do it. Like, what's your word for 2024? Have you given any thought? Like, do you have a word for 2024, John Wilner? Well, I have gi- I have thought about 2024 and had kind of drilled it down to a single word, but that's a great, that's a great topic. And, and a, I, I would go for me, it would be balance. I like that in all aspects. I like that caffeine decaffeinated, <laughs> uh, sleep, wake exercise, non, you know, just trying to create a little bit better balance still, Plenty of work involved, but, you know, I think that's that I kind of got a little sidetracked and I always get off. I, I typically am pretty good about that for about six months and then football season starts to roll around. And, you know, this past year and a half has been a little bit nuts with the Pac-12 situation, but I always lose that balance in football season and then I, I struggle to get it back. But that is my word for the year. How about you? I, I, I like that balance word. I'm I, I'm tempted to steal it. I'm not going to steal it, but I'm tempted to do it. And it's a topic that comes up a lot. I think for men in particular, that work-life balance, that home life and your work, professional life balance, it gets is always wobbling and out of whack. And it's a topic that comes up a lot in my circle with my friends, with people struggling with, you know, how much their workload, you know, the and the pressures at work and how they balance that with their home life and their family life. And, you know, are you taking phone calls? Uh, do you have your phone out at the dinner table? Are you uh, bringing work home with you? Are you working weekends? Are you, you know, are you, is it consuming you and distracting you? That work-life balance is huge. And I think men in particular struggle with that because I think a lot of times um, we view ourselves as that's our mission. That's our job. We're supposed to do this stuff. And, and, you know, you you work and you write and you, you know, you're I have an employer and I work and people read me and I I feel like it's my job. Like I, I'm I'm valuing my family by working. I often justify it that I say, oh, I'm doing this for my family. But the truth is, my kids just want me down on the carpet doing Legos. So that balance, yeah. I, I like that. And and you mentioned caffeine, not caffeinated. You said that I have a cup of coffee like six inches away from me right here. So <laughs> I just I think we all need that balance. That's good. I like that. Is that is that something? You say college football season hits. Is it is it just because it's a flurry in September, October, November, December? It's just the the workload is so heavy, and then and when you add, especially when you add on the time spent watching games, it just gets out of 
out of control. There have been many years where I get to, and I don't want to get too deep on the couch here, but every every few years I'll have a dream where I cannot, I'm walking in an airport parking lot. I've come home from a uh, a trip and I'm walking in an airport parking lot and I can't find my car. Oh, man. And the entire dream is me walking up and down the the aisles in the parking lot trying to find my car. And at one point, I I did a little bit of research, and I think that that kind of is an indicator that you're out of bounds. You can't. You've kind of lost your way. You can't find your, you know, your your balance really. So uh, I did not have one of those dreams this year, but I have had it enough in the past to to know, you know, that generally I need to be focused on that balance. And the the bottom line is I work better when I'm not working yeah. 80 hours a week. Yeah. Right. I, I, everything's better. If I'm exercising, everything, I'm sleeping better. If I'm sleeping better, everything is better. So I got to just keep that, keep that in mind here. Yeah. It's uh there's a treadmill that's running. I always see it like a kind of this treadmill that's on in the gym and it's going and it's, yeah. on, it's on level five and it's just kind of humming along. And the, there's a real fear sometimes I think to step off it. Like if you step off it, you lose all momentum, but you got to exhale. You can't be on that treadmill for 24 hours a day. You just can't, you have to exhale. It helps you focus and you're right. You're probably more productive when you're, when you've got that balance. My yep. word, my equilibrium word, also, my yeah. equilibrium might even be a little bit better word, but either that the general, that's the general approach for me here. I, I originally told my wife that my word was going to be focus, and she looked at me like, you're already focused. What are you saying? You're just going to focus more? What are you doing a radio show, doing a podcast, writing a column? What are you doing? Focus? What are you talking about? But um, for me, it's I, I, one of the words that I really, that pops into my head is joy. I feel like the last couple years, yeah. we have spent a lot of time talking about the business of college athletics, the media rights deals, the implosion the tragedy, the grief, the, you know, it's it, some of the joy. Like, there have been days, Wilner, where I feel like I just need to step back and write a human interest column because I need yeah. to remember that this is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a diversion, damn it. This is not supposed to feel like death and taxes. And it too often in the last couple of years has felt that way. So uh, I'm going to use joy. And then that's a great one. Another one. Uh, I asked Dana Altman, the Oregon basketball coach, this question. He said healthy, and he was talking about his roster. But oh. I like that too, because like, I, it, just you know, to kind of dovetail off what you were saying, like, I need to get on the bike and ride. I need to break a sweat. I need to do something that is not in front of a laptop for an hour a day, and get into the gym and and yeah. make that a make that a priority. And I had an NBA general manager once tell me. I called him, and he said. I'm at work right now. And I was confused. And then later he said, I was in the gym. And I said, well, what did you mean you were at work? And he says, I go to work every day for myself for one hour. And what he meant was he gets into the gym for an hour. And that's his time where he's dedicated on, you know, working on himself. So I, yeah. I'm going to do that too. So I'm going to use joy and I'm going to use health. Well, joy, I mean, those things are all interconnected with balance too, right? So the, the more joy you found in work, the easier it is to to find joy in, in other things. Yeah. But that's a great, that's a great, idea. I, I totally agree with your wife though, about the focus. Yeah. yeah that's not, she looked at me and she was like, she not like, said almost said that's nothing, like, but said everything with the look <laughs> she gave me. You know what I mean? That's like Dan Lanning's word being energy. Right. You know, <laughs> she's like focus. 
What are you talking about? My seven-year-old daughter said her word was snazzy, and my nine-year-old said, <laughs> my nine-year-old said exotic. I might not, I might have to have a conversation with these kids. <laughs> snazzy and exotic. But uh, I would encourage our listeners, think about your word. Ask your family members what their word is. I want, Wilner, ask your kids what their word is. I'm, I'm curious to see what kids that are, uh, you know, in that adolescent will, stage would say. I will indeed. Hey, we were talking about the uh, the itinerary for the show, and you were kind of rifling through the topics. I just think we should let listeners in on how the sausage is made here. Like, you know, let's let's kick around. What should we be talking about on this episode? Welp. We could, uh, I mean, certainly we need to address the national championship game, right? Yes. That is uh, coming down a few days from now. Pac-12 has got a team in the championship game for the first time in nine years. It's the last Pac-12 season as we know it, which we should talk about that that piece too. Uh, and it's the last, I mean, everybody's talking about, oh, the realignment piece as being a big change next year, but the 12 team playoff is going to be a giant change too. This is the last game under the four team playoff format. But I, I do you catch yourself saying this is like, this is the last year of PAC 12 football. And then you have to think, Oh, you know what? It's not really the last year because there's still going to be a PAC 12 conference. Yes. And I think Oregon state and Washington state fans have been very gracious in not being offended by that. I, I think when we all said the final Pac-12 championship game, there were some murmurs in the crowd from people who went, hey, uh, hold on a second there. You know, these two schools are trying to put this thing back together. But but the conference as we know it yep. is ending. And so, you know, I'm interested to see what they're going to do. I think they'll pump the brakes a little bit, Wilner, because I think they know the, that there's some chaos out there. And I think they kind of want to see this football split away. Do they Do they need to go out and pay exit fees or are they going to be okay just keeping that $255 million that they, they will split in assets and payments and NCAA tournament units and everything else? Are they, are they going to be okay just splitting that? And if football does splinter away from the rest of the sports, they won't necessarily need to pit fees. So I think they're in kind of slow play mode. They've got, you know, I, I think they got a nice win in court, but yeah, I mean, the PAC 12 is going to go on, isn't it? There certainly will be a name Pac-12 for the next two years, and I, I think beyond that. And, you know, it's just going to get much more interesting given what's happened. You know, since we last recorded, I think the Florida State situation happened since we last recorded. The Pac-12, the the lawsuit settlement happened. Uh, the bowls, the entire bowl season has happened. We probably ought to address that. George Kliakoff uttered some public comments the other day that that happened he hadn't spoken publicly i mean it's been a long long time right since last summer i guess uh so the, a lot of things happened does anything strike you as being uh, uh worthy enough we we should hit it right now all of it really i mean let's just go through it let's kind of pick it apart like you know, the settlement, I think Oregon State, Washington State, uh, you know, Gary Leiby's decision in court and Judge Leiby's decision in uh, Colfax there ends up holding up. They get a settlement. I thought Oregon State and Washington State did well in the settlement. I think, you know, $190 million in future assets, NCAA tournament revenues, 
65 million in payments from the 10 departing schools over the next two years. I think it's about as good as they could have hoped for. Liabilities split 12 equal ways. I mean, about as good as they could have hoped for, right? I mean, you see it that way? I do. Yeah. And you, you had some excellent reporting on that. I, I think the liability piece was the, was the biggest issue, right? And I've been trying to tally it up in my head. And my best guess is, you know, just basically the known liabilities. So we're talking about con commissioner's contract. We're talking about the lease in San Ramon. We're talking about the holiday bowl lawsuit. We're talking about the employees, former employee wrongful termination lawsuit. Uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of liabilities. I'm guessing that's 20, 25 million, somewhere in there. Uh, and I think that, you know, and then you have all of the NCAA stuff that could be hundreds of millions. But I, I always thought that getting the 10 schools to agree to share responsibility for these liabilities w was the biggest hurdle. And I think Oregon State, Washington State were just fearful that they were going to end up on the hook and doesn't yeah. look, doesn't look like they will be. Um, the 10 departing schools, I was told that there were two schools that did not want to share the NCAA tournament revenues. They were uh, holdouts, two among the 10. And I think we could probably guess that Arizona might have been one of them because they earned a lot of those NCAA tournament units and they're in financial peril. Do you have a sense of... Arizona, UCLA, Cal, who who would be a holdout in your mind? Well, those, yeah, those three. I mean, if you're just looking at it based on tenuous financial situations, those those three are probably at the top of the list. I, and I I don't know for sure, you know, if those were the ones that were that were holding out. I heard I heard one other name that was that is a school that's not necessarily uh, in financial peril uh, was kind of taking a hard line. Interesting, but. You know, that was a decision, although it impacts athletics, right? I mean, it was the general counsels, it was the campus CFOs and the presidents were the ones driving that. And they don't necessarily, you know, they're not necessarily thinking about what's best on the front lines for, for the athletic departments because uh, they could have settled. They could have settled a while ago and they might have been able to get better terms from Washington State and Oregon State. Instead, you know, it all happened after the courts ruled in the favor of the Beavers and Cougars, and the ten schools lost some leverage. Yeah, I mean, at, at that point, they you know, Oregon State, Washington State, they weren't ever threatening this, but I think there was some fear that they were just going to do what they wanted to do, and so you had no leverage, you had no ground to stand on. You brought up the Florida State thing. I had um, one of the athletic directors of the uh, schools that are left behind tell me that. Um, that they thought that the uh, chaos was uh, interesting, not necessarily bad for Oregon State and Washington State. That, you know, if Florida State ended up suing the ACC and that conference implodes as well, it may accelerate football splitting away. Um, how did you view the Florida State lawsuit with the ACC? Well, I think, I mean, to me, that marriage is broken, right? It's only a matter of when the Seminoles get out, well, when they f legally can get out and then when they for all intents and purposes, exit the conference. Those two things could be on different timelines, on significantly different timelines. But to me, I mean, it's it's over. I don't think you can put it back, put the toothpaste back in that tube. So the question becomes, is it just Florida State or is Florida State 
leading other schools out the door? And then how many is it? Is it just Florida State and Clemson? Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia? Or is it like seven or eight? And then what's left? I and think, then yeah. if one grant of rights, if they've broken the grant of rights there, then you'd have to figure every grant of rights in every conference is in jeopardy. I think a contract's a contract, isn't it? And it feels more to me like they're just, if they are exiting, there will be a settlement, you know, not unlike a um, mediation in a divorce proceeding or something like that. So I don't know. I just feel like if you're, if you're going to really throw that contract out, what contract matters anymore? That's that grant of rights yeah. is supposed to be binding. And if it's not binding, what is like, I, I just think it's a, it's a strange time, obviously. Um, I'm going to bring up my word. Well, Washington in, state yeah. and Oregon state have played it, the, uh, you know, sorry to interrupt. No. They've played it perfectly. I think because they're buying time. This is all about keeping your options open because there are so many things that can change the dynamics in the next two, three years there. They've, I think they've had a perfect strategy. And I kept thinking too, that, you know, they've made this deal to play a WCC schedule in basketball and other sports. Baseball at Oregon state may end up independent. They're a different animal, but they're going to play that scheduling partnership with the mountain West in football. Cause I had previously believed that, you know, some mountain West schools might be targeted come summer of 2024 to announce, hey, we're leaving, we're joining the Pac-12, you know, we're going, $17 million exit fee, and we're going in 2025. And But I no longer think that. I think that Oregon State, Washington State are going to take a much longer view and see how long they can sit and hold those, you know, that $255 million that they're splitting. Because ideally, they just split it and live off of it and live well off of it. And they're going to need it without a media rights deal that is going to bring them 30 or $40 million a year. Um, I want to bring up my word of the year. It's joy. We've talked about some of this business stuff. Let's talk about the football game for just a second. We can get back to Klyovkov and his comments at the Sugar Bowl. But Washington against Michigan, national championship game. What's going to happen? Well, I mean, if you ask the odds makers, they'd say the same thing that they thought was going to happen the last two times Washington's been on the field, right? They keep being, you know, they were an underdog against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship by, what, nine points? Underdog against Texas, that didn't make any sense. Uh, by four or five points, they won both games. Now they're an underdog against Michigan. I think that the Wolverines are... By far the best team. Well, maybe not by far, but they are better than Oregon and better than Texas. Uh, and it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a terrific matchup, especially with the Washington's offensive line and Michigan's defensive line. But I've got no reason to, I, I think Michigan's going to win, but I, I think it's going to be a terrific game, a, a close game. And Washington's going to comport themselves terrifically. Uh, I don't see it being a blowout, even though we've had a lot of blowouts in in the championship games. I think this will be real close. What about you? Yeah, I like Washington. I just I, I go, you know, Michael Penix Jr. was the best player on the field in the semifinal, in either semifinal game. He was the most dominant best player. 430 yards, two touchdowns. He just makes, he's not a typical college quarterback. He makes NFL throws. And you can see the surprise on, you know, I, I've seen him a few times in person. And you know, I think I covered three Washington games in person, and you see the surprise on the defensive backs 
body language when he makes a throw that normal college quarterbacks don't make. They're shocked that the ball gets through the window. They're shocked that it's delivered in the way it is. I saw that from Texas's defensive backfield. And I yeah. thought, you know, Texas was physical as well, Wilner. I just think Washington's going to play a close game because that's what Washington does. It's the style that they play. And Kalen DeBoer knows he has the guy who can come in like a lot of NFL quarterbacks do in the last two minutes of a game and win the game for you. And so I think I think Washington is going to win this game. I think it'll be a little low score, lower scoring than Washington has played when it's firing on all pistons. But I, I think it's going to be something like, you know, very close game. But I like Washington in a close game because they've got Penix. And so I, I think 28-27, 30-27, something like that with Washington walking off with the hardware. That's how I'm picking it. And I got to say, I've picked against Washington in those Oregon games. I picked against Washington in the Oregon State game. They won by three, two, and three. I've learned my yeah. lesson. I'm taking the Huskies. I think it's eight games they've won by a touchdown or less. It's just amazing. And, you know, Grubb and DeBoer do a great job of taking advantage of Penix's strengths in terms of delivering the ball. The whole offense is designed around the fact he can put the ball in places where the defense doesn't really expect it to go. Uh, and he has made every single big throw he's needed to make. Uh, he's It's been remarkable. There's a, you know, one of the subplots is that this is the first time, in a, you know, we have, there's no Alabama, there's no Georgia, there's no Ohio State, there's no Clemson. The schools that had dominated for so many years, the schools that have, the, you know, the blue chip ratio in their favor, where you got at least 50% of the roster is is four and five star recruits, you know, neither Michigan or Washington, uh, you know, adhere to the blue chip ratio. So it's a little bit of a different kind of matchup. And uh, I think part of the reason is, that it's different, uh, obviously, is is Penix. And the transfer portal has changed so much about college football. Washington is a great example, right? I mean, they're in the championship game because of a transfer, not because of uh, a series of uh, stellar recruiting classes. And we're going to – that's not going to change going forward. If anything, it's going to get more and more like this, where you can cycle from down to up in college football very quickly. We saw Arizona did it right uh, three years ago, 1-11. Two, two years ago, 1-11. Two years ago, Washington is 4-8 and eight and firing Jimmy Lake. And now Arizona's winning 10 games. Washington's playing for the national title. The It's like the NFL. You see, like, look at the Lions, right? The Lions won two years. They're up. Uh, now college football is becoming more like the NFL in that in the, the speed of the cycling of success. And the portal is the reason for it. I want to give some credit here, too, to the athletic directors because I think there was two really interesting factors that end up with Michigan and Washington in this game. Ward Manuel, the AD at Michigan, you know, after the pandemic season, a lot of pressure from the fan base to fire Jim Harbaugh. Like, fans, Michigan fans were upset. They finished with a losing record. They didn't look great. And, you know, everybody wanted – um you know, everybody wanted Harbaugh's head, and he didn't. He stuck with his guy. And, and be, you know, in part because of that, here come the Wolverines uh, all these years later. So, you know, that season during the pandemic, you know, they lost badly to Wisconsin. They lost to Penn State. They played, had to go into overtime to beat Rutgers. You know, it was, it was not a good season for Jim Harbaugh, but his AD stuck with him. 
Secondarily, let's give Jen Cohen a tip of the cap because in that hiring cycle where everybody went flashy and fancy, she went and hired Kalen DeBoer, sneaky good hire from Fresno State, guy who had won at every level. And, you know, you know, and our listeners know, that Washington program had endured losing Chris Peterson. Jimmy Lake comes in, the mess on the season, the mess on the sideline. Lake is pushed out. You know, Washington was wobbling, and Jen Cohen made a substance hire when probably a lot of ADs would have been tempted to go out and do something flashy to appease the fan base. And But I thought the DeBoer hire, in hindsight now, we have, you know, his his proof of performance in the last couple seasons. It was a brilliant hire by Jen Cohen. She deserves a, a, a nod on this. It was Oh, absolutely. And it came right when USC was hiring Lincoln. I don't remember the exact timeline. USC hired Lincoln Riley first. DeBoer and Lanning were hired. Man, it feels like it was within 30, 72 hours of each other. I'm not sure. But all three, Riley, DeBoer, Lanning, hired in the same window of 10 days. And certainly the other two had a lot more flash, you know, which is neither good nor bad in this, in terms of the context here. But, you know, high profile hires. And then here comes Washington with this guy, you know, low key dude from Fresno State. Uh, was very. It was a different move, and it was different in the spotlight next to their two biggest football rivals, at least in terms of rivals for recruits and and attention. So that to me, that's an added layer to that whole dynamic. I can remember the, the other piece yeah. Thursday. The other piece Monday. Sorry, is with Michigan too. Is Harbaugh is is looking for an NFL job. And DeBoer has not, at least they have not announced a contract extension for DeBoer. And if I'm DeBoer and his agent, and I think he's hired Jimmy Sexton, uh, you know, you're waiting to see if Michigan opens and then you're going to leverage Michigan and you're going to see how much is is Washington willing to pay you because he could pretty much name his price now. Yeah, at this point, you know, the two coaches um... – They've got all the leverage in the world, and and they're in the title game. And so I think uh, both those guys are going to sit back. I kind of wonder, you know, does the game matter to Jim Harbaugh in his decision on what he does next, or does it matter to Kalen DeBoer on what he does next? You know, I, I kind of yeah. just think if DeBoer doesn't win this game, does it does it incentivize him or disincentivize him for coming back? Do you think it's a factor for either one of those coaches? I don't know. Uh, probably not for Harbaugh. I, I think Harbaugh, Harbaugh's got, you know, a personal stake just because he's a Michigan alum. Uh, but I don't know. I think he's got his eye on the NFL. You know, I covered Harbaugh for three, four years at Stanford. And I asked him one time, you know, in relation to another coach that Stanford was about to play. And Harbaugh had was 0-2 against that coach. I said, are you keeping score? He goes, you're damn right I'm keeping score. Uh, and I think he's keeping score. His brother's got a Super Bowl. Pete Carroll's got a Super Bowl. He does not have any Super Bowls yet. And I think that that is certainly uh, a factor in his decision-making is getting back to the NFL and winning winning the Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, I, think, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, Why don't you wins, believe in Washington? Why are you still on that, you know, I don't believe Washington thing? I They they won me over. Like, I'm, I've learned my lesson, Wilner. Uh, they, they're going to, they're going to, here's how it's going to go. Michigan will probably be ahead. 
by three or four points, about two minutes to go. Washington will have the ball. And, you know, here comes Michael Penix Jr. and his receivers down the field. You know, and we know it ends with a three yeah. or four three or four point victory. Yep. No, they they could win. I mean, I picked them to beat Texas, but I, I think Michigan's is better than Texas uh, and better than Oregon. And those games were very, very close. But yeah, they could. I would not be surprised at all if they, if they win, no doubt. And then you wonder if you're DeBoer and you win the game and Michigan opens up, do, do you think you need to take that job? Because you've just beaten them and won the national championship at Washington. Yeah. Or are you looking at the long game if you're DeBoer and you're saying, well, we're about to go into the Big Ten and we're going into the Big Ten at 50% of the revenue of Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State and USC. And it's going to be a lot harder for me to compete for the Big Ten title and a playoff berth uh, if we got low, uh, 50% of the resources. So maybe I need to take the Michigan job. I don't know what he's going to think. Maybe. Uh, he maybe. may not think anything. It may not. He may not have any interest in Michigan. I'm just kind of talking out loud. I think it's a very interesting kind of backdrop. To this whole thing, because, you know, the Harbaugh, the the Michigan job has been one that DeBoer had been targeted for for many months here. And I know Washington fans have been worried about it. And now here they are playing Michigan for the championship. So it's just I think it's very interesting backdrop. I think, too, if you're DeBoer, I mean, you may be able to negotiate some of that. You're going to have all the leverage in the world with Washington. And you you say, hey, we, we cannot fund ourselves at a level that's lower than what the top Big Ten teams are doing. It does give me some pause that the athletic director that hired him is not there. And, you know, because you always, you know, you know, you've talked to coaches and they're, they always feel better when that AD that hired them, who is tied to them and invested with them, is alongside them. And so, you know, sometimes they look up and they go, nobody who hired me or was here when I got hired is still around. That is an uncomfortable place to be. So maybe uh, the University of Washington's move is to bring somebody who is very familiar with Kalen DeBoer in as, as his sidekick and give him an ally in the AD department. Ward Manuel at Michigan was a teammate with Jim Harbaugh. And so, you know, you have to have that ally so you don't have to worry about the business of things. But I'll take uh, Washington in a close game. You think Michigan in a close game. But I think it's going to be a great game. I, I think Yeah, it will. And the other interesting piece, too, is, you know, Washington has not been Oregon or USC in terms of how they have approached football and financing football, commitment to football. And if they want to keep the board, they got to become Oregon, right? You, I mean, Oregon will spend money to win, which is what the big time, the, you know, the blue bloods do that. Michigan or Washington has kind of not quite gone all in the way Oregon and USC are all in with football and and they're going to need to and it'll be interesting to see if they do it. George Klyovkov, Pac-12 commissioner. He speaks at the Sugar Bowl. I was a little surprised. Pac-12 championship game. I approached him on the sideline. He said we'll catch up later. Never saw him again until the trophy presentation and he slipped out of there like he was David Cofferfield, a, you know, a disappearing act. Uh, after the uh, trophy presentation, talks at the Sugar Bowl. Um, what did you make, did of, you him make of what he said? Yeah, I mean, what did it you wasn't think? obviously yeah. it was a. They were brief interviews, but what did you make of it? I want to be fair to him, but I think you know, for him to say, you know, this isn't fair to the kids. True, you know, he basically said this is not fair to the athletes that this stuff's been going on. You know, they had no control over it, but it's not fair to fans either. 
And there were a lot of fans who were hearing that comment from the commissioner whose job it was to bring his presidents and chancellors into the room and get a deal done. He didn't get a deal done. And, you know, he, he was basically saying, again, I, I wish that uh, these presidents and chancellors would have had more patience. Um, I wish the commissioner had been more on the ball and, you know, did, w- had been tuned into the unhappiness at USC and UCLA. And I, I think he needed to have some culpability there and some ownership of what has happened. But it was a, you know, it was a keyhole that you're peering through a keyhole. It's a quote. It was a very brief quote. I wish he would have said, hey, I, this is on me. I was the commissioner when this conference imploded. It, you know, ultimately a failure of leadership. It's on me. Like, I think fans and stakeholders, it wasn't fair to them to hear that. It wasn't fair to them to have what happened to the conference. Yeah, he may be thinking that if he says something like that, it could haunt him in his settlement negotiations with the with the schools. I don't know. But... You're you're right. He has not uttered a peep, uh, shown any any signs of accountability for what five months now. To me, remember you at the beginning you asked about uh, a word for the yeah. year. Yeah. So my word for the Pac-12 for the last what is it, eighteen months? Man, it feels like about twenty-seven years. Uh, my word for the Pac-12 is disconnect. I just think. He never figured out what it – he was never able to relate to the schools and what they needed. He didn't understand the pressures that the 80s were on. He didn't understand the mentality of the presidents. You know, he's still talking about if they had been more patient. That's – he's talking to a different audience in that case because there's no way they were going to be willing to wait another six months after waiting 13. It just – he just didn't get it. And to me, that disconnect manifests itself in uh, a fracturing of trust that that led to, you know, the schools, the Colorado and then the other schools leaving. Uh, he, he just he never figured out he couldn't relate to what his schools needed. And that's what you got to do as a leader. You got to figure out what do they need? I know what I want to do and the strategy I want to follow. But what do they need? Can they really, can I really count on them to sit tight for 13 months and another six months? And the answer is no way, no chance. Uh, but he never got that. And so that's why I'm going with disconnect as my word for the Pac-12 demise. I also think that, you know, you had the product, right? You've got Washington in the championship game. You had Oregon yeah. at the top of the rankings. You had Arizona, you had USC, you had. You know, Oregon State to an extent. Yeah, you had good football. You had Colorado. Colorado's ratings. Yeah, the first four weeks of the season with Colorado and Washington State, you had you had a product to sell, and the fact that you know, yes, you can say, hey, we made an investment in football and look at where we are, but you made an investment, you never cashed it out. Like you didn't you didn't reap the benefit of that investment, and so right ultimately the networks got what they wanted. You know the conference implodes and they parted it out and they yeah. t- took the markets they wanted but the Pac-12 in 108 years of history I mean you have to point to Larry Scott's role of course the commissioner uh George Klyovkov plays a role it's on his watch presidents and chancellors share in that as well put a little bit of it on, on television you know I think television has lost sight of what college athletics is supposed to be and what should be the regionality the rivalries um 
you know, I think, you know, they just miss, they don't see it. They don't value the things that fans value and, and people who have followed the company value. But um, I, I think, too, though, I had one basketball coach, one basketball coach in the conference tell me, Wilner, that there are some rumblings. The basketball coaches are not happy about splintering off in a bunch of different directions. You know, Big 12, Big 10, some going, uh, Oregon State and Washington State going to play the WCC schedule. There's some uh, rumblings and some unhappiness already, and they haven't even started traveling and playing those games. They're talking about it with each other. So I wonder how that manifests itself over time, over the next year, over the next 18 months. Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the dirty little secret is that nobody wants this. Right. The 80s, the football coaches, the basketball coaches, the Olympic sports coaches, they don't they wanted the Pac-12 to stay together because it worked for them on so many different levels. Uh, Nobody wants to be schlepping across the country. I think Mick Cronin wants to go be playing in state state college one week and Bloomington the next. And I mean, it's it's bananas. It's like the world has spun off its axis for these schools. And you do wonder if in a few years it's going to just prove untenable on some levels, maybe not for football because the travel's limited, but for those other sports, I mean, I just do not see how the it's going to work for the Olympic sports and even men's and women's basketball. I mean, think about Stanford and Cal, right? Their basketball teams and volleyball and soccer going back and forth across the country like that. It's I, I just I am skeptical that it's going to work on that level and that at some point and I don't know if it's going to be in two, two or three years or three or five years, there's going to be some kind of uh, recalibration that makes more sense. Uh, and we'll see, Flor- you know, Florida State could be the the spark for that. I don't know, but I don't think any of these coaches want to do it, to no, be honest. I agree. With you. I agree. And I've talked to women's basketball coaches going off to the Big Ten. Uh, is not wild about it. I've talked to a baseball coach going off to the Big Ten, not wild about it. I've talked to uh, a, a coach going off to the ACC, not wild about it. And um, I think uh, I think the non-revenue generating sports uh, end up back in here, the Pac-12, someday. Chip Kelly as the commissioner of college football, or Greg Sankey, or somebody like that, and everybody else. Like, it just makes too much sense. Uh, I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com, get a free subscription or a paid subscription. I always say what works for you works for me. He's John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, 12hotline.com is where you find John Wilner's great work. We'll be back next week. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a damn thing. And, uh, you know, tell us who you think is going to win the national title game. We both think it's going to be a close game. How about you? Word of the year. Think about your word of the year. And thanks, everybody. Uh, Hope everyone had a a happy holidays, safe holidays, and happy new year. Thanks for all your support.